Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 4, Episode 15 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. When there's a puzzle, when there's something, I have a tendency to want to retreat into my head and to figure it out and to rationalise it and to really get into the minutiae of where it is and logic my way out of it. And in a lot of situations, that's really useful. And in other situations, I'm doing that at the expense of connecting with someone. And sometimes it's we were realising, actually, this is maybe you're intellectualising this in a way that's keeping you away from actually connecting fully. So why not try this and see what this is like? Give it a go. And it was in an adult chronic pain service. She went, mm. right, give this a go, see what it's like. And I immediately went, ooh, mindfulness. Uh, uh, mm, not sure. All right, if you think this might be a good way to go, I'll give it a try. And yeah, I'm really glad that she did that, <laughs> to say the least. What we ended up doing is I used the ACT matrix, but on myself as a therapist. And for anyone who is in any sort of therapeutic work or training, I highly, highly recommend that as a just an illuminating exercise of, oh, this is right. Hey Supers, we're feeling festive, and what a treat it was to chat with Dr. Steve Jones, clinical psychologist, author, cartoonist, and Yorkshireman. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to nourish your mind to flourish at work. We cover so much more in our chat. You can hear about Steve's identification with the Hugh Laurie character in House, what he discovered as he navigated his career path and how he came across ACT and the impact it's had on his own practice and the people around him. You can also discover more about his love of doodling and cartooning and how he uses this in his client work. And finally, for part one, we finish with Steve's song choice. The lyrics sent a shiver down my spine. Let's take a quick scoot over to the news desk. Reviews are in for the second part of my chat with Dr. Duncan Gillard and Dr. Nick Hooper, now contractually known as Hoop Dog at People Soup. Friend of the show, Dr. Annie Gascoigne, summed it up nicely and said, An inspiration indeed. Great to hear about this fabulous work in schools. And thanks so much, Annie, and everyone who listened and shared. And speaking of sharing, please do pass on this episode to parents, teachers and anyone who works in a primary school setting. And speaking of my pal Annie Gascoigne, there's still time to throw your festive hat in the ring to win a free place on Module 3 or 4 of our Flexibility at Work programme. In Module 3, we'll be looking at the practical application of contextual behavioural science in teams and organisations. And in Module 4, we'll turn our focus to leadership. Fill out the form via the link in the show notes or go directly to bookwen.com slash flexibility at work. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to my chat with Steve Jones. So, P-Supers, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Steve Jones to the People Soup podcast. Steve, hello. Hello. Lovely to, lovely to speak to you. And, and Steve is a saint, basically. We did have an interview session set for Monday this week, and I had a power cut. And we rescheduled it to Friday now, and I am currently speaking to Steve via 
the torchlight of one mobile phone with the hotspot of another mobile phone. So fingers crossed this is going to work. But we're just saying the sound is remarkably clear between Sheffield and Malaga using a mobile hotspot. It's a miracle of technology. It's fabulous, isn't it, that it's coming through? Although the mood lighting looks fabulous. Yeah, I thought it looked more like I was telling you a ghost story or something. <laughs> We've just gone past Halloween, so we're on yeah, yeah. Steve, you'll be familiar with my research department, so I'm going to share with you some nuggets from them, see if they've got anything right or, or wrong. Let's see how we get on. So it says here, Dr. Steve Jones is a clinical psychologist in the NHS, and he works with adults and young people with long-term health conditions. And through that work, he's inspired by the people he works with and what they achieve regardless of the difficulties they're facing in their lives. So that mm. speaks to us a bit about who the man is. Well, the, that seems true. He's, yeah. Uh, it's lovely. And he's also a bright lad. It says not only does he have a doctorate, he also holds a master's in applied cognitive neuroscience, which I can barely say. I wonder if I can barely remember it. <laughs> And is an expert in acceptance and commitment therapy. And the author of a brilliant book called Act Made Yorkshire, which we're going to talk about in a bit more depth a bit later on. So, what else have my research department come up with? They say he is a proud Yorkshireman. Very true. Which I think might be a slight understatement, actually. And let's, <laughs> let's be specific. He's from Sheffield. He's a husband, a dad, a retired amateur footballer, and a cartoonist, as well as being an author and a psychologist. And apparently he's a chap who enjoys a proper pint and thick gravy on a chippy tea. <laughs> All very, very true. Some of our listeners aren't based in Yorkshire, Steve. So I just need to unpick that proper pint and thick gravy on a chippy tea. So yeah. what, what is your proper pint? Tell me about that first. Do you have a preferred <sighs> tipple? Well, I'm... Yeah, it's got to be... I I can't deal with lager anymore. It's got to be proper beer. So the the way that I remember my granddad and my dad talking about it is beer that's got wood floating in it. It's (laughs) really, you know... It's got a bit of backbone to it type thing. And a a chippy tea is just a tradition. Fish and chips, gravy that is thick enough that you can put the spoon in the jug and it doesn't fall over. That type of level. So chippy tea is, is battered fish and chips. Yeah. Where do you stand on peas? Mushy. Mushy? Has to be and has to be next to it. I was horrified to find out that even in West Yorkshire, so where my wife is from, they won't put gravy on a chippy tea, which to me was just, I didn't realise that wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently is isn't. Where do you stand on chips with curry sauce? you're taking two nice things and trying to make something yeah that that doesn't work for me no okay we've got we've got clarity on that and it says here you are a a fan maybe an enormous fan of sheffield united he says drinking out of the red and white striped cup Ah, yes. He's bang on brand, folks. I, I do feel after after that intro, I may be a little bit of a stereotype, but I'm more than happy to embrace that. <laughs> so, they've uncovered something else, and I'm not sure how much truth there is in this, but they've heard there's a bit of a battle royale going on between Yorkshire Tea and Henderson's. 
<laughs> because they want you to be the face of one of their brands and there's a bit of a bidding war going on as to as to who will win and and we better explain Yorkshire tea is a popular brand of tea and yep. Henderson's is strong and northern relish how would you describe yes. Henderson's to to someone who hadn't come across it before uh, well are we all familiar with sort of ambrosia sort of you know the, the divine food yeah <laughs> so it's it's like if you took Liam Perrin's but uh, Worcester sauce and you just well make it better in every possible conceivable way mm. essentially that's what we're talking about so I feel from that answer I'm probably telling you which way I'd lean yeah and, and Hendo's is Sheffield to the bone so Hendo's it is I'm ashamed to say I don't have a bottle here in Malaga but the next time I'm in the UK I'll make sure I return with a bottle. So Steve, that's given us a little bit of an insight into you the man, but I wonder if you could help us out a bit and fill in more of the gaps on your journey to where you've got to today. Tell us a bit about your career, if you wouldn't mind. Maybe a couple of pivotal moments along the way. Yeah, of course. It feels strange to talk about career, because as I'm sat here in my early 30s, it feels like there's a, a starting paragraph in a chapter, and I'm just at the end of that, whereas career feels like it's something that's going to happen i suppose sat here you know as clinical psychologist in pediatrics mostly and working with children at the minute and that wasn't always going to be the case so at one point i thought i was going to go down sort of a pharmaceutical route hence the neuroscience master so i thought that's where i was going to be Mm. you know the type of rep who turn up to medical teams and try to pitch ideas or particular products and then i ended up I remember a conversation with Naira Teoran, and I apologise if I've just mispronounced her surname. She was a lecturer on that master's, and she sat me down one day, and she was a wonderfully direct lady. And she basically said, Steve, you really wouldn't like my job, would you? What do you mean? Because in the back of my head, that's what I thought I was going to do. You really wouldn't like this. You'd be bored. You need to work with people. That sort of started up a bit of a an internal monologue that just went from there really and ended up going down the assistant psychology clinical psychology route and ever since then i'm just fascinated with helping people with their health i don't know what it is this is almost a universal experience that we could all have well we could all have any experience but there's something about health that really i don't know it pulls on a particular chord for me and it's just it's pulled me along in that essence and just kept me really going because I did my doctorate in Sheffield which is preposterously lucky that I've still never officially had a contract working outside of Sheffield (laughs) I've tried to I've tried to leave several times but for some reason it's not happened or it's not worked so I've always stayed here and I've deliberately picked placements or roles that would be challenging or you know I wanted to work in palliative care because I thought well actually if you want to work with health you want to work with people and you want to really connect with people you know our own mortality is the the ultimate point so i decided that's where i wanted to go and then since then just working Mm. in health since then around the nhs still in sheffield was was there a point with with young steve at school Mm. when you thought i want to be in a role where i support people or yeah, I remember. There is a particular memory I've got. I was talking to a friend. She was really struggling with something, and we just sat talking for a few hours until after it had gone dark. And just there was something about that that actually I quite not that I liked doing it because she it was obviously with her her pain and something that was quite distressing for her at the time. But there was something that 
I don't know, you just I felt more connected to someone than I ever could and that that was sort of one of the times where I thought this is something that I could do. As I got older, I think there was something about the the reason I was sort of thinking of pharmaceuticals I get really passionate about puzzles and I love working things out and the technicality of it. And my wife joked quite a lot because we we were met in university and at that point we watched a lot of house i don't know if you've ever sort of hugh laurie ah yes yeah um and there was a we had a and this was the point dear listener where i reached the daily limit on my wi-fi hotspot on my spanish mobile i abruptly left steve alone in our virtual room and after some faffing on my part i managed to give him a call to apologize and he kindly agreed to continue the chat later that week which is where we now rejoin the conversation. What a guy. First of all, thanks again. Thanks again for your willingness to come back on. I've checked what we've got already. It's great. Oh, fabulous. I wonder if we can pick it up from there. That's that's perfect. I, I've not said it yet, but I know you've thanked me for making time. But yeah, thank you very much for offering me the, the opportunity and for persevering, even though, it, yeah, I'm waiting for a meteor storm or something like that yeah Yeah. well fingers crossed we can we can get this one in the bag yeah so steve we're back i've got electric lighting i've got you and i've got a wi-fi connection so let's crack on while while we've still got it yeah yeah so where we were up to before my hotspot gave out last time was we were talking about you getting into professions that help other people and you, you were relating it to watching House during your student days. I wonder if we could pick it up there. Tell me more about you watching House. Yeah, of course. It was something that me and my now wife, um, we always used to watch. And I remember really sort of connecting with the, I don't know, sort of the, the aura that was given off by Hugh Laurie at that point, sort of this, you know, infallible... When my wife pointed out, she went, you are essentially a walking stick away from becoming house. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, yeah, I, I quite like that. that. That feels good. It's probably speaking to 18, 19-year-old me's ego at that point and sort of really inflating with that. And then as I started to go through sort of my studies, there was a part of me that went, oh, actually, is that really what you want? And I think it's something about I'm, I'm aware that when I get hooked on a puzzle... I really go into it and I really I enjoy piecing things apart so I got to a point where I realized that that's probably not the motivation that I want to define sort of who I am in my career I I mentioned earlier about pharmaceuticals and I think a similar thing came up with neuropsychology and I did as an assistant psychologist I really got into and fascinated by memory assessments and I thought I could do this once I'd done a few, I realised that actually there's a part of you in the back somewhere that's not doing this because it's all about helping people. There's a part of you that quite likes figuring it out as well. And that's great, and that can really be a fuel, and that can be really positive. But there was another part of me that's going, but it feels like it's missing something. Mm. And now looking back at it and being immersed into sort of the world of, of ACT, I think, oh, actually, that's what that was. You were getting quite a few of the values you were hitting, and there mm. was this gap somewhere, like a slice missing out of the pizza, and I was definitely noticing that. I love the way you described that, Steve, the, the slice missing from a pizza, and looking back with retrospect, knowing what you know now about ACT, you can identify, maybe that's what was going on there. Yeah, and I think there is a sense of 
maturing as well i'd like to think the 18 year old me and the 30 odd year old me are, they're the same and you know they there is a thread that runs through it but at the same time hmm, there might be some bits that are slightly different I'd like yeah. To think. <laughs> yeah i'm sure and do you ever watch house now do you ever watch reruns for old times sake I have done, and there is still a part of me that it does resonate to, and I do, I do smile looking at it and think, oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Whereas now it's more of a, I can just enjoy this because I really liked the programme, as opposed to having that in the back of my head of going, oh yeah, you are going to end up with that stick that's got the flames up the side like he does later on. That's, <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm probably of a Hugh Laurie character now, I'm probably more Blackadder than... Uh, <laughs> than house now to be honest <laughs> nice one i think that's something we all aspire to <laughs> so so steve can you can you think of the time when you first came across act yeah in my first year on the clinical psychology doctorate i was on my second placement and my supervisor at the time ellie hurrell she she was fabulous um, and i've known her for quite a number of years before as well and she was saying do you know what steve you we're noticing a pattern, and it's similar to what I was describing before. I, When there's a puzzle, when there's something, I have a tendency to want to retreat into my head and to figure it out and to rationalise it and to really get into the minutiae of where it is and logic my way out of it. And in a lot of situations, that's really useful. And in other situations, I'm doing that at the expense of connecting with someone. And sometimes it's we were realising, actually, this is... Maybe you're intellectualising this in a way that's keeping you away from actually connecting fully. So, why not try this and see what this is like? Give it a go. And it was in an adult chronic pain service. She went, mm. right, give this a go, see what it's like. And I immediately went, ooh, mindfulness. Uh, uh, mm, not sure. All right, if you think this might be a good way to go, I'll give it a try. And yeah, I'm really glad that she did that. <laughs> to say the least what we ended up doing is I used the act matrix but on myself as a therapist and for anyone who is in any sort of therapeutic work or training I highly highly recommend that as a just an illuminating exercise of oh this is right okay I can see where this is going and I think that was that was almost the the final nail in the I might turn into house coffin. Um, <laughs> so that was consigned at that point. And then from then on, I thought, I want to use this approach as much as I can. So in my final year, I deliberately picked placements that would allow me to do that. So I deliberately wanted to work in primary care, in health, and deliberately within palliative care, because that's, right, I'm going to use this approach. And I was lucky to go up to the Edinburgh Conference, the UK and Ireland branch, up to Edinburgh. And that Right. Okay. Yeah. This is this is what I want to do. This this does cement that idea. Great. I love to hear you sort of a bit of a hesitation around mindfulness, and then mm. then using the matrix. I use the matrix. It's one of the fundamental building blocks of my work in organisations because I think it's something you can convey to someone else quite quickly. The utility of it. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, and I find people just get it, and then they start to re realise the layer upon layer of how it could potentially be used and how useful it could be. And I still see new ways to apply it every day, thinking about organisational settings. But do you have a, a similar experience of it or different? Do you use it a lot? 
So, yeah, definitely, to answer all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that I noticed is when I first started doing the the Matrix, sort of the, the personal experience on myself is that it started out very much, here are four boxes toward and away. Mm. That was, and, okay, there we are. And then I started drawing more on it. And it ended up, yes, there are four boxes, but then there's little bits within each one. Uh, that's actually a process that I can see happening in this particular area. Okay, that's the seesaw within things I'm trying to stay away from, whether it's this one or this one. Okay. And mm. it, it became much, much more detailed than the initial sort of cross, so mm. to speak. I would deliberately said, tried not to say five areas then. Um, not going to CBT uh, <laughs> Um but it's it was um, it was a really illuminating experience, and I think using it within one-to-one work, but also within health teams as well. To it's not something I've had a lot of experience with, but it's something I really see and use in my own head. Sort of working within MDTs or you know multi-professional medical mm. teams, and just seeing actually why are we making these decisions? Why are people having these conflicts? And often it's because they feel that their values are being blocked or there's something intolerable happening within the system or within particular client work that is really difficult, understandably, to the nature of working in healthcare. And to be able to show that and demonstrate it is a really powerful thing. I've not gone as far as to actually introduce it a lot of times with teams, but as a working model in my own head to help, okay, where are we going with this? It's a really, really Mm. powerful tool. So I can definitely see how you know within within your work within organizations that it just lends itself and it's something you can get across really quickly isn't it as you mentioned yeah i think i think you can really reveal tangible benefits quite quickly whether it's to an individual for their own well-being or whether it's to how a team interacts or or how to have a difficult conversation and what might get in the way of that difficult conversation i think it just through sorting things using a tool like the matrix i think it reveals so much and for me, it kind of makes sense of that jumble in my head. It's the sort of taking a plate of spaghetti and lining it all up, isn't it? Nice. I love that. <laughs> and I'm intrigued. You said you were drawing on it. Where did your love of drawing and cartooning, when did that start? <laughs> um, for as long as I remember. That's always been something I do. I've especially found working lockdown a bit tricky for that particular reason, cause I'm drawing things, which I naturally do, sort of put across metaphors or things we're talking about, trying to hold up a piece of paper to a webcam and making sure it's in view while I'm peering around it, because you can't see. That's been interesting. But yeah, it's always been something I've done, whether it started out as a moderately unhealthy obsession with Sonic the Hedgehog and just drawing that constantly as a child, (laughs) and then just going through to whether it's drawing things about football or cartoons, yeah. I've never left that part of me behind, and I don't think I want to either. Well, I, I applaud you, because I indulge in sketching as well, and I think mm. it's a great way in, say, one-to-one or in group work mm. to convey a message or a concept or a principle in a way that just cuts through lots of stuff. Yeah. And I think no matter what, how skilled or unskilled we think we are as artists, you can convey a message in a few mm. strokes of a pencil you might never be able to convey with lots of words. Yeah, being able to, like you say, make a connection with someone through what you're drawing has mm. a has something that 
we lose in translation through words. The thing that I always come up with, no matter how good or terrible the thing that I've drawn, it's a really fabulous bonding experience with a you know with a young person. I always say words to the effect of this is going to be a bit crap, and then and then draw from there. And the amount of people where you're saying, can you tell what this is? And you've del- you know you've really rushed. So for instance, torchlight metaphor in mm. act, and I've drawn what is a terrible sort of bedroom sort of scene in a weird daft spider in the top corner or something like that but people are laughing at it and they're engaged fully whereas if i just sat there and spoke through a story they might be but mm. there's there's something about so i i think there's something as well that we can model by showing what i am doing is a bit pants and i'm okay with that we can we're still here and we're still mm. talking i don't have to present perfection to you because i am a person as well. Mm. I absolutely agree that that sort of demonstrating vulnerability to people is so, can be quite powerful. And also saying, look, I have this inner stuff going on too. Mm. Just because I've got this particular title, I've still got this going on. I think that can be tremendously powerful, particularly if it's someone you're working with directly. And I think it changes the relationship, I think, between in a therapeutic setting. Yeah, definitely. But then, you know, if you're you're drawing something and handing it over to someone and saying, can you complete this? Or, you know, mm. what, what would you do with this now? And you see all the time, if someone's drawing, they speak much freer than if they're... Mm. There's nothing more awkward than saying something you find difficult while locking eyes with someone else. <laughs> yeah. We know, we know, don't we? One of the exercises that I've used in a lot of sort of teamworking things is you know, look at someone else in the eyes for 10 seconds, and it's one of the most excruciating things that you can do. So then if you're dialing that up by asking someone to talk about something they find difficult while being sat there with nothing between you, it's an incredibly exposing experience, Mm. isn't it? So if you in some way can do that, and it just happens that I love doodling and drawing, from my perspective, I feel comfortable while being able to demonstrate some vulnerability. It just Mm. seems to fit. Well, I'd say please don't stop using it and please, <laughs> please keep sharing it because I think it's tremendous. Now, Steve, you know that I ask my guests for a song choice. Now, this is a song that would announce your arrival in a room, whether it's a virtual room or a real room, over the next, say, few weeks. It's not forever, but it's one that would sort of introduce you and it would play whenever you went in a room in your house or... In, in a workplace. Do you have a, a song or a, a sound you'd like to choose? I've not overthought this at all. I've heard you ask this to other people throughout and it's the first, interesting, the first time I heard, <laughs> I became an in, initiated pea super. This was the question that sat in my mind for the longest, I'm not ashamed to say. Um, so it could, it, <laughs> I could I could give the answer of um, Annie's song, which is the it's it's the theme for Sheffield United. If you've ever heard or seen a United game on TV, a song about greasy chip butties and woodbines, old horrible cigarettes, just filling up your senses. It is the best football anthem. I will hear no debate. I don't think that's a good idea. So I the one that I ended up coming down on. Mm. was a song by the struts called it could have been me and there's just something about the lyrics in it that really resonate 
So there's things like don't want to live as an untold story or don't want to live as an unsung melody, which just really hits a chord. Um, and it's got that sort of, how do I describe it? Almost like a chest beating sort of defiance to it. And I really, it really fits. It really works well. But it's, I want to taste love and pain. I want to feel pride and shame. I don't want to take my time and I don't want to waste one line. I want to have better days, never look back and say it could have been me. And it's Ooh. just, yeah, this, that, that, that reaction is exactly what I had as well. Oh, mate, I got, I got goosebumps and like a tingle down the spine. And I have never heard of this song. So I am going to be fabulous. listening to it when we're finished. And I'm going to play it in the background just over this segment without infringing any copyright laws, I hope. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not in tune, so it won't match up. <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do want to have a go at singing you're very welcome to I will not put people through that okay but I love those lyrics I'm intrigued it's, it's that I get some people really they really connect with a beat or with a sound and I've always been one for if the lyrics hit what else is happening in the song could yeah that can be whatever but if the words hit something for me that mm. I think it is taste love and pain pride and shame so that I realised what audience I'm speaking to as well. Yeah. We can have both, and just to live that life as much as you want. And I as you can. love it. I love it. I can't wait to listen to it now. And um, <laughs> what was the group called? The, the Struts? The Struts. And I, I, I hesitate to ask, are they from Sheffield? I don't think so. I think they're London. There were a few. I was very close, and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to fall down. I've already typecast myself quite hard i'll veer away from that one so no mm. arctic monkeys or reverend makers anything like that or human league or all like that well i thought my thought might it might have been jarvis cocker because i thought he was yep. he was a sheffield boy he is to the point where some lyrics are down the side of sheffield Hallam uni on the wall that's what it is i didn't realize they were his lyrics i've seen I it i say that i'm suddenly cast with all sorts of doubt <laughs> we'll get it we'll get our research department to fact yeah. check that one for you steve yeah but yeah i love i used to do a bit of work in sheffield when there was a big oh what was it called an enormous awful edifice a government building i think it was called moorfoot yes oh that's still there oh it wasn't yeah, that nice oh, mate no no it's it yeah it's not we're not known for glorious architecture but I'm very fond of Sheffield. I think it's a, a really nice place. To, I really enjoyed coming and working with colleagues there. And my goddaughter's at uni there. And uh, well, she might, she might never leave. We are, I, I, that's, there's a stat that gets thrown around all the time. Sheffield has the highest uh, retention rate of students. Wow. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. If people can't escape or that they choose to stay. <laughs> I'm not sure which way around, but... That's it, P-Supers, part one in the bag. Tune in next time for the second part of my chat with Steve, where we talk about his brilliant book, Act Made Yorkshire. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. 
I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On the Instagram, we are at people.soup. And on Facebook, at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. Most of all, dear listener, thanks to you. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. Hello? Hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. <laughs> it's a work, work in progress. Yeah, but... Oh, please don't. Yeah, please don't worry. It's, it's one of those things.